you have to be able to recognize the point at which you've learned enough and it is time to take action because you're never going to feel 100% prepared. It's always going to be scary to take that first step. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Rachel Richards. Rachel is joining us from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Rachel is a former financial advisor and now a real estate investor with a portfolio of 40 doors. At 27 years of age, Rachel quit her job and retired with $15,000 a month in passive income. Rachel is also the author of two books, Money Honey, Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Rachel, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yes. Thanks, Ash. I'm excited to be here. As you said, I'm a former financial advisor, but I've been a personal finance nerd my whole life. I remember reading books in sixth grade and being so intrigued with compound interest. So that is why I am the way that I am. And I'm really passionate about helping young women and millennials and Gen Z, especially with learning about financial literacy, because we're truly in a financial education crisis. So that's a little bit more about me and what I'm working on now. We are actually about to leave and move away from Colorado. And we're going to be traveling for the next six months around the U.S. So lots of exciting stuff to look forward to. You are living a lot of people's dreams. Before we get into the $15,000 a month in passive income and how you achieve that, tell me more about your start as a financial advisor. I'll backtrack a little bit because after high school, I already knew enough from reading books to be wary of college debt. I didn't want to take on debt. And here I was looking at this expensive liberal arts school that was going to cost 40 grand a year, trying to figure out how I was going to pay for it because my parents were not able to help me in that capacity. I ended up taking a job selling Cutco knives. Have you heard of Cutco? I I actually (laughs) own several of their knives. They're incredible. (laughs) They're the best. Yes. So I sold Cutco. I paid my way through school selling knives. And at the end of that, I majored in financial economics. I had this passion for finance. I figured combined with my sales skills, I would be a great financial advisor. So that's what I started doing. However, being good at something doesn't mean that you enjoy something. And I did not enjoy sitting in an office cold calling people all day long. So I didn't last very long as a financial advisor, but the passion for helping people was still there. So it just took me a few years to figure out the best way to do that. And what was your next step? My next step, I took a few stints in real estate, which I felt very overqualified for at the time. I remember feeling like I'm not meant to be here. I need to have a career job. But in hindsight, those jobs were actually really valuable because I learned a lot about real estate transactions, real estate investing, and it helped me achieve a lot later on. So it's funny how in hindsight, we can connect the dots. But after that, then I took a job as a senior finance analyst at a global manufacturing corporation. All right. So in all of your financial education, did real estate ever pop up or was that just not part of it? 
it popped up as I was reading books. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school. That's when I wanted to invest in real estate. So I wanted to go that route. And then when I took those couple real estate jobs, I did get my real estate license and I learned just from hands-on experience. And what was your first foray into real estate? My first investment was in 2017. And before 2017, my husband and I, we didn't have any passive income. We were both working full-time jobs. In 2017, we bought our first investment property. It was a duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. It was listed for a hundred grand. So I know that sounds very, very cheap right now because the market is hot everywhere, but Louisville and anywhere in the Midwest really, I think is a great place to invest. So in terms of how we got that initial down payment, because we needed to come up with 20 grand to get to our down payment. By then we had both been saving and scrimping to save up money over those few years. So because I didn't graduate with debt, that was a huge advantage for me. And even though I was only making $36,000 starting out as a financial advisor, I found a way to save 50% of my income. So I was living off a budget of $1,500 per month, super cheap. A lot of sacrifice went into that. And my husband was the same way as well. So it didn't take us very long to be able to come up with 10 grand each that we contributed to buy this duplex. Rachel, most people don't start their financial education till a little bit later in life. What was your motivator to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in high school and to educate yourself at an early age? There was a lot going on in my childhood. I grew up in this very wealthy county. It was very much a bubble, unrealistic place to grow up. So I had a skewed idea of what wealth looked like. Just to give you some context, a lot of the kids in my high school were getting brand new BMWs when they turned 16. My family was not operating that way. We were not going out to even eat at restaurants, let alone even going on a family vacation. Money was a stressor in our family. We were always on a budget. And I just remember feeling like I didn't fit in. That's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. So I thought to myself, I don't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I don't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life or have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So I became obsessed with personal finance. Like I said, I was reading books. I was learning everything I can. I just had these fears and these limiting beliefs that there wasn't ever enough money. And I was scared to be financially dependent on somebody else. So they say fear can motivate you or paralyze you. And luckily in my case, it motivated me. That is great insight. And thank you for sharing that. You bought your first property in Kentucky. Did you live there at the time? Yes. I had lived there for 20 years. I had my real estate license by that time. So I was very familiar with the market. Okay. Single family home. You guys purchased it as a rental. Were you already living in a home that you purchased? The first one we bought was a duplex, but we were already living in a primary residence that we purchased. And for more context on that, my husband is a veteran. So he also graduated without debt because he used his military benefits. And then for him to buy his primary residence, which I moved into, he used the VA loan, which is a 0% down loan. And how was your first experience as a landlord with the duplex? (laughs) A lot of mistakes made, definitely a big learning process, and it'll continue to be that way no matter how far someone is into their real estate investing journey. But it could have gone worse. 
We had one tenant that was already there in one of the units and it was rented, but we could have been renting it for a lot more. So we kind of had to wait him out so that we could increase the rent and get somebody else in. But he was great. No issues with him. The other unit needed a total rehab. It was an absolute disaster. So we did have a pretty big renovation up front on our first investment property that we were managing. The process went pretty well. And then we were able to get somebody in pretty quickly. So right off the bat, when we rented out both units at first, we were making $500 a month in net cash flow, which was really, really good. Now we're making $800 a month in net profit. And what was that big lesson that you learned on your duplex? I would say the biggest lesson is how to manage your contractors. Because back then I did a good job. I hadn't started writing my book yet. We were working full time, but this was our only rental that we were managing. So I would basically make a point to go to the rental property every single day when they were doing the rehab. I would either go during my lunch break or I'd go right after work. And the great thing about that is they knew that the owner was coming. They knew that they needed to make progress every single day because I was going to be there and I was going to see it. I would do things like bring them bagels or bring them Gatorade. So they liked me too. We had a great relationship and I was holding them accountable and the renovation went really well. I wish I had learned how good that was because a later renovation didn't go quite as well. And it's because I wasn't doing any of those things. So that was a big learning lesson for me. Good point. So you've left your financial career behind. You have your first rental home. Now what's your mindset and what's the next step? My mindset at this point, I wasn't a financial advisor anymore, but I was still working full time. And to me, real estate investing was the way out. It was way out of the rat race. My husband was on board, so we really wanted to get aggressive. Our initial plan was actually, you've probably heard this before, but to buy a single family house every year for 15 years, all on 15-year mortgages. Then after 15 years, once those mortgages start getting paid off, you're making a ton of cash flow. I figured if I started in my earlier mid-20s, I would be retired by my mid-30s, and that was a great plan for me at the time. So that's kind of what we were set on doing was just getting as many properties under our belt as quickly as possible. It obviously ended up going a lot faster than that. And then the other thing at the same time is I started writing my first book, Money Honey. By this point in my life, because I was a financial advisor previously, all of my family and friends came to me for financial advice. They wanted help. And I loved that. I loved helping people with it. I also began to wonder, well, why aren't they reading books on their own or learning on their own? And then I had this aha moment where I realized, oh yeah, personal finance is boring, right? For most people, it's intimidating, it's dry, it's complex. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So I started writing that in 2017. I self-published it in 2017. And to my surprise, it took off. It was not meant to be part of my passive income strategy. I didn't even think I would make money from it, but it really resonated with female millennials. And now it's great because it's opened the opportunity and the door for me to build all these other passive income streams so that we could retire and become financially independent even earlier. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting. 
Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. And remember to mention the Best Ever Podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash best ever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. So your goal wasn't to make millions of dollars. Your goal was to retire early and enjoy life. Yeah. And a lot of people wonder why I'm not still actively acquiring real estate. Yeah. You love it so much. Why don't you keep doing it? (laughs) I love what it does for me. I've never wanted a real estate empire. It's more of a means to an end. I'm passionate about what it does for me, but do I want to spend all my time acquiring the next deal and analyzing the next deal? No, not necessarily. So our goal was to get to this point with our rental income where we were making 10 grand a month in profit. And that's when we would become financially independent. We reached that in 2018, 2019. So we stopped acquiring properties. And in fact, we're now starting to sell them. Okay, Rachel, your plan was one a year for 15 years. And then you mentioned it went faster than that. How much faster did it go? It took two years. Whoa. For how many properties? Six buildings, 38 doors. And did all of that money come from your savings and your cash flow? Yes. We did not have to do the Burr method. We didn't have to do house hacking, although we would have if we had needed the money. When we started out, my husband wasn't making six figures either. And I was making 36 grand when I graduated. But by 2017 and 2018, he was making over six figures. My salary had increased. We were still being really, really frugal. So we were saving a lot of money. Then we were also saving 100% of the cash flow of any of the rentals we were accumulating. And then the third thing, which is how we were able to scale so quickly, is that I had my real estate license. So I was representing myself as the buyer's agent on all of these transactions, which meant that we would deplete our savings basically to buy a property. But then I would immediately get a commission check back for thousands of dollars and that we would put that towards the next down payment. So that's how we kept coming up with down payment after down payment. It sounds easy, but there's a lot of good lessons that I'm sure you've learned along the way. What would you tell somebody who is in their early 20s, wants to get into real estate, and doesn't know how to get started? I would say you have to learn as much as you can. And there are so many free and cheap resources out there. There's so many podcasts, including this one. There's books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Hold by Steve Chater. There's websites and blogs. So you can do a lot of reading and learning on your own. 
but you have to be able to recognize the point at which you've learned enough and it is time to take action because you're never going to feel a hundred percent prepared. It's always going to be scary to take that first step. And I was the same way. I made excuses for myself. I procrastinated because I felt like I didn't have enough knowledge or I didn't have enough experience or I didn't have enough money. If I had known about wholesaling and house hacking and the Burr method back then, I could have started even sooner, but I held myself back for all these different reasons. So once I accepted the fact, I'm a perfectionist, okay, I'm a control freak. Once I accepted the fact that I was going to make mistakes, it allowed me to take the first step. I accepted that I would make mistakes that would waste my time. I would make mistakes that would cause me to lose money. But ultimately, I trusted in the process and I trusted myself. So that allowed me to get over that hurdle. There's this quote by Zig Ziglar that I always tell people who are wanting to get started in real estate. And he said, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. That is great advice. Rachel, so I'm a Gen Xer. You're a millennial. And I've set goals where I want to achieve a certain amount of cash flow or number of properties. And then that goal keeps increasing. And I don't, I don't think it'll ever stop. You set your goal, you achieved it, and now you're selling off your properties. What are you going to do with the money and what's next? The way I see my real estate journey, at least, and this isn't true for everybody, but it's a time versus money trade-off. So in the beginning of when I was investing in real estate, I had a lot more time. We would go down and we'd try to figure out how to do repairs on our own to save us money. Then later on, when we had less time, we would start hiring and outsourcing people, but we were still self-managing our properties. Now we're at the point where we have enough passive income coming in. It's not such a worry anymore. And we really want to free up our time. So that's why we're starting to sell our properties is because landlording can be a hassle. And yes, certainly we could hire a property management company, but we're just ready to go another route and be rid of direct rental property ownership. So we are essentially selling some properties so that we can transition that money into real estate syndications, which is my new favorite thing. I love learning about them. I love investing in them. You might not earn quite as much on owning a rental property directly, but it's true mailbox money. After you've done the due diligence on the deal and you've invested, you just get a check every quarter. So that's a lot more enticing to us these days. Okay. I'm going to give you a hard question. You said that you are very frugal and you are a control freak and that you haven't hired a property management company. Now, to me, that property management company is going to take over your control and it's not frugal paying somebody else to do what you can do. So are you going to be okay with offloading a lot of that and paying for services? You ask a great question, Ash, and this is my biggest flaw is that I am so frugal sometimes that I make decisions that cost me more money. And I've done that with property management. I can share one of my biggest mistakes in real estate investing, which is when we first wanted to hire a property management company. I think we were self-managing 26 units at that time, still working full-time. So we couldn't do it anymore. We looked at hiring a legit company, but then we also looked at these two people that had been working for us for a long time. They had done stuff like maintenance, cleaning, lawn care, and they always went above and beyond hardest working people I knew. It was like a husband and wife couple. So we thought to ourselves, well, why don't we hire them as employees of our company and they can be the property managers. We can save a little bit money and be a little more hands-on with the way that we're managing them. It started off great. And then six months later, things started to slip. 
and my husband went to collect rent one day from the lockbox on site. He realized there was a lot of rent missing. This was not just a tenant paying late. It was a significant amount. So we're calling our employees. What's going on? They're not answering. Never heard from them again. And it turns out they stole $6,000 in rent money that time. And we found out they'd been squatting in vacant units and rooms on our properties for almost a year. So talk about a wake-up call, a learning lesson. This is the kind of stuff that happens when you invest in real estate. And it was definitely difficult at first. I can laugh about it now, but it's, it's something that I felt embarrassed about at first because it seems so naive in hindsight. But I share that lesson because I don't want other people to make the same mistake. The moral of the story is this is not the place to be cheap when it comes to hiring a contractor, hiring a property management company. You want to go with the properly licensed, bonded, insured company. Because if we had done that and their employees had stolen rent money from us, they would have been liable for the damages, not us. So yes, you make a great point. This is something I'm still working on and improving on. But yeah, I've cost myself more money in the long run just by trying to be cheap and cut corners in the short run. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Good lessons to learn. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our best ever listeners are probably in a place where you are, where they've had some successes with a few of their first properties and they're thinking about possibly syndicating as well. What are the next steps that somebody should take to get into syndication? I'm a beginner, so I'm still learning myself. But what I would say is there's a lot of learning and due diligence that has to go into this. And the book that I really love is The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. I've yet to find a better resource for learning how to analyze syndication deals. The thing I've learned too is that you need to do just as much due diligence on the sponsor of the deal, the syndicator of the deal, as you do the deal itself. And syndications are tricky to find because they're governed by SEC. So oftentimes they're not allowed to advertise. So the best way is to join real estate investors associations, real estate meetups, start asking around, getting connected to people so that you can start getting some deal flow into your inbox. And what kind of deals are you looking to syndicate? I've invested in four so far, two multifamily, one industrial, and I'm blanking on the fourth one, but what I'd really love to get into is self-storage and mobile home parks. So that's what I'm looking for next. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group of eight to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at BEC2022.com. That's BEC2022.com. So you are on the investor side of syndications. Correct. I'm the limited partner, not the general partner. Got so it. I'm not putting together deals. I'm just investing in deals. Okay. So you want to truly pacify your future. Passivify. Yes if that's a word, but you want to make the rest of your future truly passive. That's correct. Now, here's where I struggle. If you see a really good deal on a duplex or a four family, do you have the willpower and the discipline to not make an offer on it? Because you know the market, you know how much money you can make. If somebody brings you an off-market deal, are you that disciplined where you're not going to make an offer on it? I don't know. It's not that we want to get out 
We're going to sell three out of six of our buildings. The three that are the biggest time suckers, basically, and that we like the least. The other three are really easy to manage. The thing is, though, if I come across a really, really great deal and it can help me with a 1031 exchange, I'll probably do it. Because now that I'm selling some of these, I'm having these capital gains. I'm going to be owing a lot of taxes. So I'm open to reinvesting it, but it has to be really, really good. And what are your plans with that 1031 exchange? Will you just continue to 1031 forever? I'm hoping I can take advantage of some opportunity zones and avoid paying taxes altogether. But that can be a 10-year process. So I got to hire some smarter people than me at this point. (laughs) So what do you do with all your free time? You're traveling for six months. And where are you traveling to? We're going to be going all around the West, Wyoming, Idaho, Utah, California, Arizona. So a lot of people look at me and they're, well, Rachel, you're not retired. You're still working. And my response is, yes, I'm still working. I love what I do. To me, being retired is the same as being financially independent. It's not about not working anymore. It's about working when, where, and if I want. And I'm so fortunate to have started a business that fulfills me. I love what I do. I can work a 12-hour day and feel like I had a ton of fun. So it doesn't feel like work to me. So going forward, I definitely want to spend time growing my business, maybe writing another book, launching another course. We also love to hike. So every single weekend, you can see me doing some hike here in Colorado, and then hopefully a lot more travel. You make a very compelling case for investing in real estate. What advice do you have for those college seniors or first-year employed people in the finance industry? I would say you can be so creative with the ways that you can build wealth. There's what I call the nest egg theory. This is the way we've traditionally defined retirement, where you're accumulating wealth. You're working a 40-hour job for 40 years of your life so that you can save a million or $2 million so that you can retire and live off of that for the rest of your life. That used to work really well, but times have changed. And I don't think we're waking up enough to that. So this is what I would want a college senior or a young professional to hear is that times have changed and the accumulation theory or the nest egg theory, it's out. It's just too hard to do. I think passive income is the more attainable way to achieve financial independence. The epiphany I had with passive income and passive income to me is money that is earned with little to no ongoing effort. It's no get-rich-quick scheme. It takes time or money to create. But once you have a passive income stream going, it becomes a lot more hands-off. So the epiphany I had is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired, you're financially independent. So I would love to see more people striving for this cash flow and this passive income theory because I think it's a lot more attainable in terms of achieving early retirement. And then your living expenses shouldn't continue to rise at the same rate as your income, right? (laughs) Yes, that's the key. If your income can increase at a rate greater than your expenses, you're gold. Great advice. If your business were to collapse, all of your passive income goes away and you don't have a nest egg, what are you going to do? This is a great question. I guess put another way, if I had to start all over with nothing to my name, I would start with wholesaling. Because it's the one thing you can do that you literally don't have to have a dime in order to do it. And so it's where you're basically going out and finding deals for other investors, getting paid a fee as a middleman. Not only are you making a lot of money, I've seen wholesalers make five, 10, 15 grand per deal, but you're learning a ton about what to look for in a great investment deal. So you do a handful of those, then you have enough money and enough knowledge and confidence where you can start investing on your own. 
That's the same advice that I give to a lot of high school and college kids that want to get into real estate, but don't have any capital. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Rachel, what's your best ever real estate investing advice? My best ever advice, I think, goes back to knowing where to be frugal and where to not be frugal. Because overall, in general, be a frugal person. That'll get you really far. But don't be so cheap where you're cutting corners and you're going to cost yourself more money in the long run like I did. So it's not a zero-sum game. You pick and choose. And what are some examples of where you choose not to be frugal, not in business, but in your life? I've also had to learn this in my life as well, in terms of where I can spend more money. And my husband's a really great saver. He's more of a spender than I am. And I'm more of a saver than he is. So we balance each other out really well. It just comes down to what you value. Some people value having a nice house. Some people value having a nice car. Some people value travel or experiences. You can't spend money on everything that you value. So you need to know what do you value the most out of all those things. I love travel. I love experiences. So I will always splurge to go on vacation. I'll always spend money to see a new place, go to a national park, do something new. That's where I like to be more splurgy. (laughs) That's great advice. And I'm jealous. Rachel, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Let's do it. Great. Rachel, what's the best ever book you recently read? One of my favorites is The Millionaire Fastlane by MJ DeMarco. So good. What was your biggest takeaway from that book? It just helped me shift my mindset from consumer to producer and kind of looking at the world from a lens of how can I add value? How can I be a producer? How can I be an entrepreneur and impact people? And when you can figure out how to do that, you'll build wealth like crazy. Rachel, what's the best ever way you like to give back? There's a charity that I contribute to the Front Row Foundation. It's sort of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but it's Make-A-Wish is more for children. Front Row Foundation is for anyone of any age that's having an end-of-life experience and making their dreams come true. So I like to contribute to that every single month. That's fantastic. Rachel, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Thank you. Well, I would love to give the best ever listeners access to my Passive Income Starter Kit for free. So if you'd like to go download that, you can go to www.moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've given us incredible advice and we've learned how your childhood and early experiences got you interested in taking a hold of your future and studying personal finance. And you were fortunate to find real estate at a young age and just take things to the next level, always keeping in mind your ultimate end goal and not letting that vision get carried away. So you embody, I think, what a lot of our listeners would love to have, and you've accomplished your goals. So congratulations. Thank you again. Best of our listeners, thank you, and have a great day.